0: Well, we're in part four of this summer series on an Old Testament uh, figure who lived about 4,000 years ago. Uh, named Abraham. And if you haven't yet or were unaware of the service uh, insert in your service folder, now would be a great time to bring it out. Uh, I almost guarantee you that you'll be able to remember more if you've got something to visually look at. And uh, that's the goal, right? To remember and to learn and to uh, have the Holy Spirit work through things. So, The subtitle for our series, as you can tell uh, here, is A a Journey of Faith, and that's because Abraham spent most of his life waiting on the promises of God to be fulfilled, trusting that God's promises uh, would be fulfilled just as he had said. And that that trust of someone, in the things they cannot see, that trust in something that they don't yet have in their hands is, is something that we call faith. For a Christian then, faith is trusting in the promises of God. And last week, uh, Matt did a great job of reminding us that God is good on his promises. As God came to Abraham and reminded him of the promise of a a son, and that God can be trusted. And here's what I hope. I hope last week's message sinks in for you. Because a lot of times, the, the, the reason why we get ourselves frustrated and anxious is because we don't believe that what God has promised can happen or will happen. And here's what I want you to do when you're wondering, is to go back to God's track record and to see that his track record on his promises is 100% perfect. He has never unfulfilled or not fulfilled a promise. His track record is absolutely perfect. And we're going to come back to that idea of God's faithfulness over and over again throughout this series in the life of Abraham. There's one other thing with last week that I just needed to kind of tie a bow on before we move forward. And that's this, that uh, Pastor Matt had mentioned last week that uh, he and Amy, and I think he said he used some code words or language, but had, had sort of convinced people in his household of exchange, because I don't know what code words he used, but exchanging one promise for another, and they agreed to the exchange of that promise. And I just want to like, say what everyone else was thinking when he mentioned how happy the people in his family were about that exchange is that they, Matt and Amy, are lucky that they did this when the kids were young because when they're older, that would never fly. Like, my kids would never have been happy about that. So, anyway, that uh, needed to tie a bow on that. Today, what we're going to talk about specifically in the life of Abraham is his waiting, seasons of waiting in our lives as well. Here's something I know about you. You've gone through seasons of waiting in your life here's what I also know about you. Probably most of us are waiting for something right now. We all go through seasons of waiting in our life, and last thing I know about you, when it comes to seasons of waiting, it's never something we enjoy or like. In fact, I looked at the definition for wait this past week, and it has the word, the main word in it is delay. Delay. Delay is not a positive term. Delay is a a word that reminds us that where we want to get or what we want to have is not happening, and so it's delayed, or we wait. You've gone through seasons of waiting. Um, I'm waiting to grow up, or I'm waiting to graduate from school, or we're waiting for the right job, or another job, or we're waiting to get married, or we're waiting to have kids. We're waiting for a house. We're waiting to go on vacation. We're waiting for the debt, those you know, school tuition bills and debt to get all paid up. We're waiting for the doctor's report. That's a hard one. We're waiting for a kidney. We're, we're waiting for retirement. You know, our, our lives are filled with seasons of waiting. And here's the thing. When the wait is longer than what we feel is fair... Or what we were thinking the wait time would be, we get frustrated and we get upset. Let me give you an example um, of this uh, that probably applies to your own life. Uh, So think about going out to eat on a Friday night or a Saturday night and there's no tables available. Okay? And they give you one of those square, you know, pager things that light up and vibrate, you know. And they, here's your pager thing. Go out into the waiting room or outside. And when this happens to me, um, I tend to at first try to have as be- good of an attitude as possible about it. It's like, okay, I get more time to talk with the kids. That's what they're doing. They're just providing me more time to connect with the family. And so we, we talk and, and all those good things that would happen over the meal but, but if the wait is longer than the time that they gave me, first of all, I start banging the square pager thing just to make sure it's working. Then I go check how, how f- much until the bloomers, how, how much longer till the bloomers, and maybe they forgot to put our name on there just to double check. And the conversation begins to get a little more, you know, less uh, vocal because I'm getting frustrated. And here, here's, here's the worst part worst part is when someone who started waiting after you, their pager thing that lights up and vibrates goes off before yours. And I don't care if they have more, we have more people in our party. This is just not fair. And you're ready to storm the host table and to take their, no, their marker thing and to put your name on table number 10, right? And you get frustrated. Why? Because we don't like to wait, or if we're okay with waiting, only to a certain point, only for a certain amount of time. And then we're done. Then we've had it. Here's our first fill-in for today. Seasons of waiting are a given. How we respond is not. And what I want to concentrate on is our tendency to respond with, with anger, frustration, cutting corners. We'll talk about that in a moment but that we don't need to respond that way. We don't need to respond to times of waiting with that type of attitude. And especially we should guard against a temptation that we're going to be looking at. There's a temptation to do something that Sarah did in our text. There's a temptation to do something in times of waiting that honestly is going to be worse for us in the long run than if we just were comfortable with waiting a little longer. So let me introduce for you where we're at in Abraham and Sarah's life. So the promise that Abraham and Sarah sort of globbed onto and clearly thought about the most of the promises that God gave was the promise that they would have a son. That Sarah would have a son. Now, understand, when God gave that promise to Sarah, Abraham was seventy-five years old. Okay, and Matt said week one that he doesn't talk about women's ages, but I do. So Sarah was sixty-five years old when um, when this promise was given. People lived longer 4,000 years ago. They had babies uh, older in age, but to have a child at 65, that just was not common. Possibly, I could say, pretty much unheard of. And so, after God gave this promise, you would think that maybe, or at least Sarah probably thought that you know next month you know she's pregnant, but a year goes by, no baby and 2 years go by no baby 3 years 5 years 7 years 9 years at the time of our text we're going to look at it in a moment it had been 10 years since god had given this promise think about that you know how the the monthly waiting is such a big deal when you're when you're wanting to be pregnant 120 months of hope and 120 months of realizing that they weren't having a child that month. And so Sarah has gotten tired of waiting. And so she's got a plan. And that's where we dig in in Genesis chapter 16. Now, Sarah, i that's uh, another name for Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. We just talked about that. Ten years since the promise I would say likely about 40 years of marriage, Sarah has been unable to conceive, but Sarah had an Egyptian servant, an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, so she said to Abraham, her husband, verse 3, or the rest of verse 2, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So let me just say this. You've got questions, okay? Okay. And I can see from your faces, the first question is this, is that Hagar the one who founded the Khaki Pants Company? Um, And just to answer that question first, no, that's a different Hagar. The second question that I bet you guys have is this, what in the world is Sarah thinking? How could Sarah come up with this Jerry Springer-like, you know, type of plan where because she can't have a baby, let's just pick a, a servant, sleep with Abraham, and she have a baby in my place. And the first thing I want to say about this is some, a question that maybe you've had at times reading through the Old Testament. There's a lot of examples of polygamy in the Old Testament. It was never something God condoned or thought was right, never in history. Was it okay by God for people to have multiple partners or to have multiple wives or or husbands, for that matter? So this wasn't a part of God's plan or His direction. But here's something else you need to know. Just to cut Sarah a little bit of slack, just a little, culturally, Sarah's plan was not unheard of. She's not the first person to invent this this crazy idea. And, And let me explain. So... Having servants was a pretty common thing back then, and it was very common for um, a a woman, a wife, who was unable to conceive, they used the word barren, um, to appoint uh, a servant to have a a child in her stead. And so that child then, by the wife's husband, would then become that wife's uh, child by ownership. And become their son. In fact, this is uh, probably so common, even outside of the Bible, that uh, Hammurabi, the guy who wrote all those uh, laws, ancient laws, he actually has a section about this, about how to regulate it and things. So this was not an unheard of thing, but it certainly wasn't, it certainly wasn't a godly thing. And the reason why I mention that it wasn't unheard of is that I think it's easy to dismiss Sarah's crazy idea as being something that we can't relate to. But let's just hold on a second. So Sarah was willing to go against God and along with culture in order to get what she wanted or to do what she felt would be best for her. Is there any sort of parallels to how we might think or act in 21st century America. That it might be okay, or at least we think about it, we see it for sure, to go against what God clearly says and along with what culture says because we want something that bad. You can think of your own examples, but you know that it applies. At the end of the day, Sarah's angst was with the Lord. The Lord, I think I highlighted it, the Lord has kept me from having children. She was upset with God. She was upset that she had been waiting so long and it seemed as if God didn't care or God wasn't listening. And so the theme of our sermon today, she was willing to rush ahead of God's timetable, even if that meant going against God's will, in order to get what she wanted more quickly. So how did, how did Abraham feel or react? Next verse. Abraham agreed. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Now, he may have been a little more passive. It wasn't necessarily his idea, but let's not cut Abraham any slack here. He also didn't tell Sarah to, you know, cut it out. He also went along with the plan. And again, we have this promise of God and we have Abraham and Sarah getting tired of waiting on God's timing and so they're willing to rush ahead. And what I want you to hear in this message today is that God is not telling us in times of waiting to just sit on our behinds and not look for a job if that's what we're waiting for or just to sit on our behinds and not go to the doctor if there's something wrong with us. He's not saying for us to just be lazy but what he is showing us what we do see in Abraham and Sarah is that they went outside of God's will in what they did in order to shorten that waiting time. And I think I think we can relate. I know in my own life, I know in my counseling towards others, so many times people want to speed up the waiting, and so they take things in their, to their own hands. You know, I've been waiting for a, a, a spouse. And so even though I know this particular boyfriend or girlfriend isn't the right one necessarily, they don't, I can't check all the boxes, I've been waiting, I've been waiting so long. Or how about the flip side of the marriage relationship? How about divorce? It's been more than once where I've encouraged a, a, a Christian couple to, to wait just wait, work on things more. And and one or the other, and oh no, this is this is this is I'm tired of waiting. This is what we need to do. Or maybe it's a purchase, and you know that you don't yet have the finances uh, to, to pay for it, but you've been waiting so long and so you make a, a foolhardy purchase. Or maybe it's 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 letting our frustration and anger well up and and in the wait and so we mistreat people around us whether it's our spouse because we've been waiting for things that they promised when we got married and you know our life isn't the way you said it would be and so we get upset and frustrated or or maybe it's it's kids being that way or or parents how easily don't we also get frustrated in times of waiting and sometimes cut corners. Well, how did it work out for Abraham and Sarah? You can only guess, right? Well, we don't have to guess. Verse 3. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, so he was 85, which means Sarah was how old? 70. Yeah, so you're talking about her age now, too. Okay. Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maid servant Hagar and gave Hagar to her husband to be his wife. So they conceived the child together, as it says in verse 4. He also then, according to the law, you know, took her on as, as another wife or a second wife. Verse 5. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So let me, let me tell you what's going on right here with Sarah and Hagar, okay? So Abraham and Hagar conceive a child, okay? Now, Hagar's pregnant uh, with what eventually becomes a son named Ishmael when, when he's finally born. We'll talk about, more about him in another week. What happens then is Hagar, who had been the servant, who had been, you know, and this isn't right either, but had been more of a possession of their family, all of a sudden she starts to get a little bit of an attitude. Now she's got a higher status, she's a wife of Abraham, and she's the wife who can conceive a child, and Sarah, 40-some years, now 50, and you can't, you haven't been able to have a child or a son. And so Hagar begins to despise Sarah, and now Sarah is ticked off, now part of us like well... I mean, come on, Sarah. What do you have to be ticked off about? This was your idea. This was your plan. And and it seems as if she storms into Abraham's, you know, room, slams the tent flap behind her maybe. All right, verse 5. Then Sarah said to Abraham, You're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me." me. Let me point out something. Sarah decided to go ahead of God's timetable, not to wait, and the result is she is a mess. Okay, Sarah's a mess. She's feeling worse about herself because of Hagar looking down on her. She's blaming Abraham now for the whole ordeal. Now, let's just let me just say this: um, Abraham didn't come up with the idea. But, but husbands, Christian husbands, we're, we're appointed leaders of our homes, and so Abraham did fail in not speaking up and letting this happen, okay? And then, not only is she upset at Abraham, but she kind of now, because it's convenient now, brings God back into things. So, the Lord's a righteous judge. You know, I'll go with what God says now, okay? She brings God back into it because it's convenient for her at the moment. What's Abraham's response? Great home and family leadership. Your servant is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. She's a slave. Treat her like a slave. I don't care. (laughs) By the way, while Hagar is carrying his child, then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so Hagar fled. Now, this word for mistreat, it's a little ambiguous, but it is the same word that, um, the Egypt, that when describing Egyptian slaves, how they mistreated, or Egyptian slave owners, how they mistreated Israelite slaves, it's the same word used there. So, likely this mistreatment wasn't just some harsh words, but physical, emotional, verbal abuse to Hagar who in a lot of ways, what did Hagar do? She didn't have a choice in all of this. She was an innocent bystander, forced to have a baby with her master's husband. And so to recap, Sarah's feeling worse than she did before. Abraham and Sarah need some marriage counseling. And Hagar is pregnant and on the run. How is going ahead of God's timetable working out for Abraham and Sarah? Not so well. Now, let me be clear. Every time we sin, or try to cut corners and go outside of God's will to get to something we want quicker or whatever, there is no guarantee that the mess is going to be this big, okay? Sometimes God and his patience and his his love allows things to actually work out okay, even though we went outside of God's will. So this isn't always going to happen, but here's what I do know is always going to happen. Things are never better. Never better when our actions and our lives are outside of relationship with God, and that's what they were doing. They were going outside of their relationship with God to get quicker what they thought they needed quicker, and God had said to just wait on his timing. And so here's my first encouragement for you in times of waiting. It's our next fill-in. I encourage you to be content to walk at God's pace. Be content to walk at the pace that God has for you and your life and your hopes and your dreams. (laughs) It makes me think about walking with Carrie, my wife. We have a really hard time at walking at the same pace, okay? So here's the issue. If I want to go fast, I'm going to run if I want to go slow, then I walk. Carrie wants to combine the two for whatever reason. I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. And she wants to walk fast, which it just makes, makes no sense. Who invented that? Walk fast. I mean, run or walk, run or pick, okay? And so what happens is whenever she, we're walking, she's always way out ahead of me. And it's really hard to have a conversation when she's 10 seconds down the block. And it's really uncomfortable when the neighbors call and ask if you're fighting because there goes Carrie and Ben's, you know, coming behind her, you know. But when we're walking at the same pace, it's better. When we're walking, even sometimes, I know it's kind of mushy, but hand in hand, <laughs> It's better. When we're, t- when we're walking so that we can talk with each other, we're in relationship. It's better, right? It's better when you walk at God's pace. And who sets the pace? Well, I hope you leave that to the all knowing God and not that you and I are trying to set the pace for him. It's better when we walk at God's pace pace so wait on god's timetable and his pace and if it's hard right now to do that let me ask what do you think would have happened if abraham instead of just reacting to sarah's encouragement what if he would have prayed about it first Do you think he might have been given the strength to say no to sarah and to wait maybe Or, what if Abraham would have consulted with some good God fearing friends? Do you think that would have helped instead of just agreeing with what Sarah said? What if he would have stopped and consulted with people and gotten their encouragement from God fearing friends? Do you think that would have helped? I think it, it helps to be in community with other Christians, whether it be in a growth group or just having friends around you to consult in times where you don't feel like waiting. Absolutely. Do you think it helps to pray in times of waiting? Absolutely. Do you think it's good to talk with your pastor in times of waiting? Absolutely. Do you think God works through those things in times of waiting? Yes, he does. And then here's the other thing. It's a little bit longer. But if God never gives you what you've been waiting for, you can be sure that what you're waiting for is not what you need. Some of you, that's all you needed to hear today. You know, just write that down, and that's all you need to take home. And it hits so much of us that I'm going to read it again. If God never gives you what you've been waiting for, you can be sure that what you're waiting for is not what you need. You can be sure that what you're waiting for is not what you need. Now, walking at God pace, that's one thing. But as we close, it's not the main thing. It's not the main thing that I want to share with you today from Abraham and Sarah's account. This is a, the, the things I just read are a salacious, Jerry Springer-type account. And I saw some of you, like, looking at your spouses and kind of blushing a little bit, you know. It, 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 it makes you blush, and if you're someone who's brand new to church today, like, I'm sorry, okay? Because you're like, what is this Bible thing all about? It, it, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? And we're doing a whole summer series on this guy? I mean, what can you learn? Here's the thing if you think this series is about Abraham, you're mistaken. This series is primarily not about Abraham. This series is primarily about his God. Two ch- about a chapter later, we turn to Genesis chapter 17. Look at what God says to Abraham. As for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah, verse 16. I will bless her Still and I will still give you a son by her. Still. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. At this time of these words, 14 years more had gone by since the section that we looked at today. That's 24 years of waiting for the promise Abraham's 99. That makes Sarah 89. She's still waiting. 288 months of hope. 288 months of disappointment. And I'm thinking that Sarah at a certain point like, I'm not going down to the Canaanite Walgreens to get another pregnancy test, Abraham. I think it's over, okay? I don't think it's happening. Yeah, God's promised it, but remember what we did? The whole Hagar thing. By this time, Ishmael's running around. He's almost a teenager. And yet, God announces and reannounces his promise to Sarah and to Abraham that despite their unfaithfulness, he is faithful. Here's the last thing for your walk. Be content to walk at God's pace. Be confident that you walk in God's grace. No matter what you've done, no matter what dumb ideas you come up with, because of the son that would someday be born from Sarah's descendants, a man named Jesus, you and I can be sure That despite our worst ideas and our furthest leanings away from God, when we trust in Jesus, we are in God's grace. And so we're going to be content to walk at His pace. And we're going to live each day joyful that we walk in His grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I uh, relate to Sarah being unwilling to wait. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me for the times that I've cut corners in order to get the intended result that I wanted or the result you wanted, but more quickly on my timetable. Lord, at the same time, I pray that you remind all of us that those sins are forgiven and that as you were faithful to Sarah and Abraham with your promise to them, that you are faithful to us with your promise of forgiveness and life eternal. Help us to to leave today. Walking in that grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, our ushers will be gathering our offerings as uh, we.